0: The most important thought that you will ever think is what you think when you think of God because it will determine every dimension of your life. The most important thought that you will ever think is what you think when you think of God because it will determine every dimension of your life. I learned this truth from Dr. Jeff Bingham at Dallas Seminary, and I can still hear his voice in my head even as I say these words. How we view God will determine everything in our life. A.W. Tozer said the same thing in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself, and the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he deep in his heart conceives God to be like. Before the Christian church goes into eclipse anywhere, there must first be a corrupting of her simple, basic theology. She simply gets a wrong answer to the question, what is God like, and goes on from there. And that's where King Jeroboam went wrong. That's what we'll see in 1 Kings chapter 12 today, so turn there now in your Bibles. We'll start with verse 28 in 1 Kings chapter 12, where we'll see that it was what Jeroboam thought about God in his heart ...that wrecked him and the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel went into eclipse... ...because there was a corrupting of her simple, basic theology. And it all started because of King Jeroboam. King Jeroboam simply got a wrong answer to the question... ...what is God like? And it was all downhill from there. Instead of looking to God's promises... Instead of looking to the promises in God's word, Jeroboam got on Facebook and said this, Hey guys, is it okay to worship gold cows? Asking for a friend. 1 Kings chapter 12, look at verse 28. Hear the word of the Lord. And so the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Then this thing became a sin, for the people went as far as Dan to be before one. So Jeroboam gets on Facebook and asks for help, and he decides to make two golden calves, Jeroboam wanted to give the people what they wanted in worship. Convenience and choice and ease. And so he builds two altars, one in the northern part of Israel and one in the southern part. And he sets up these two golden calves in these two cities. One in the far north area of Israel in Dan and one down south in Bethel. Jeroboam made worship easy. For those in the north, his thinking was, don't travel all the way down to Jerusalem, to the temple. We'll bring it to you. See, it's easy. It's convenient. Just head north to Dan. And he wanted to catch people as they were making their way to Jerusalem in the south. Why travel all the way to Jerusalem, y'all? Stop on the way at Bethel and worship. No use going all the way to Jerusalem. And so Jeroboam placed these two golden calves that he made, and he placed them at each site, and then he told the nation of Israel, behold, here are the gods who brought you up out of Egypt. Does this phrase sound familiar to you? It should because it's all over the Old Testament, repeatedly throughout the Old Testament. The people of God are reminded that Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, Yahweh was the one who brought Israel out of slavery in Egypt. This is, in fact, this is how the Ten Commandments begin. This is theology 101. This is Old Testament 101. This is how important it is. This is how the Ten Commandments begin. Exodus chapter 20, verses one through three. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This is theology 101. This is Christianity 101. You and I don't get the luxury Contrary to what our culture says, we don't get the luxury to make Jesus the way we want him to be. We don't get the luxury to create a Jesus that supports and confirms our lifestyle. Jesus did not come in order to endorse our designer lives. He came to save us from our designer lives. He came to save us from the slavery of our designer lives. And that's where the slip occurs here. Jeroboam hijacked a little bit of truth, and then he twisted it, and he made it fit his thinking. Jeroboam hijacked worship. He took a little bit of truth, mixed it, with whatever was culturally acceptable, and ta-da, worship made easy. Worship according to his thinking. Jeroboam started thinking about God in his heart. And then he sought counsel from others, apart from the word of God. He sought counsel about how he should think about God. See, when we think of God, we always have to start with God, with who He says in His Word, and then we come down. We can't start with what we think. We have to start with who God is and who He has very clearly revealed Himself to be in His Word. You don't have to know Greek, Hebrew, or Aramaic to understand the Bible. God has made it very clear. There are children's books with five words per sentence that can tell you what God is like. And it comes out of the Bible. God has made it so clear. This is what I'm like. Jeroboam hijacked worship. We always have to start with who God is and what he says in his word. Jeroboam got it backwards. As we read verse 31 and on, notice the word made that keeps popping up. Jeroboam is creating his own view of God, his own idea of God, and his own worship. Look at verse 31. Notice the word made. He also made temples on high places and appointed priests from among all the people who were not of the Levites. And Jeroboam appointed a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month like the feast that was in Judah. And he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he had made. He went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel on the 15th day in the 8th month, in the month that he had devised from his own heart, and he instituted a feast for the people of Israel and went up to the altar to make offerings. Jeroboam, contrary to God's very clear word, he appointed priests who were not from the priestly line. He had to be from the the tribe of Levi. to be a Levite to be a priest. Under King Jeroboam, you didn't have to be a Levite. Anybody could be a priest. You want to be a priest? You be a priest. Everybody gets to be a priest. It was like Oprah. Look under your seats and you can be a priest. And he even made up his own feast. In contrast to the three annual feasts that the Lord required in his word. And where did it all start? Verse 33 tells us that he devised it all from his own heart. The Lord had clearly given instructions for worship to Israel. Worship me in the temple in Jerusalem where I have put my name. But Jeroboam can't handle this simplicity. He thinks in his heart that something must be added. Take a little bit of Canaanite worship. He dips into culture to to flavor his worship. He takes ideas from social media and the news and what our culture says about God and he sticks that in his worship. He takes a little bit of Canaanite worship, Canaanite practices, and adds it to Israel's worship and ta Jeroboam's new worship. What's a few extra church campuses, he thinks. What's a few extra gold cows? And it all started in his heart with what he was thinking Jeroboam is proof and he serves as a warning to us this morning that the most important thought that you will ever think is what you think when you think of God because it will determine every dimension of your life. Do you remember that old country song, I Was Country When Country Wasn't Cool by Barbara Mandrell? I won't sing it to you. I'm really tempted to Well, that's King Jeroboam here. Jeroboam's got a t-shirt that says, I was Romans 1 when Romans 1 wasn't cool. He was Romans 1, exchanging God for created things long before that was cool. Jeroboam was Romans chapter 1 when the nation of Israel was Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, trying to live according to God's law. Jeroboam was exchanging the image of God for idols long before it was cool to do so. Long before it was cool to do so in our day and age. And it's cool today in our culture. It's cool to be what Romans chapter 1 condemns. It's cool and hip and acceptable to abandon God's plan for sexuality It's cool and hip and acceptable to abandon God's plan for marriage. It's cool, hip, and acceptable for Christians to abandon God's plan for sexuality and to abandon God's plan for marriage. That's so weird to me. And it's sad. It's actually cool and hip and acceptable for Christians to abandon God's very clear word. We live in a day and in a culture when it is actually cool, hip, and acceptable to do what Romans chapter 1 clearly condemns. And those who do that just might wake up one day and realize that they aren't Christian at all. They may realize they have created another God that they are worshiping. They have made another God just like King Jeroboam. They may wake up one day and realize that they aren't believing or worshiping Christianly even if they think they are something to think about. So let's flip over to Romans chapter 1 because what we see in Romans chapter 1 is exactly what Jeroboam was doing 600 or so years before Romans chapter 1 was ever written. Romans chapter 1. What we see in Romans 1 explains, and it's actually a commentary on what was happening in King Jeroboam's heart. If you want to know what's happening in King Jeroboam's heart, in 1 Kings chapter 12, Romans chapter 1 tells you. It's a commentary on his heart, and it's a commentary on our culture today. Jeroboam was Romans 1 before Romans 1 was cool in his day. Jeroboam was Romans 1 before it was cool and hip to be Romans chapter 1 in 2019. Romans chapter 1, let's begin in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is a commentary on Jeroboam's heart. First, notice that God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. That includes every human being because we're all born sinners. Second, what does our unrighteousness cause us to do? What does our sin cause us to do? What do our sinful hearts do with the truth of God's word? Paul says in verse 18 that we suppress God's truth. When truth comes to us, From God's word, our natural reaction apart from the spirit of God is to suppress it. Then notice what Paul says that God has revealed about himself through his creation in verse 20. Through what he has made, the triune God has revealed these two things about himself, his eternal power and his divine nature. So even if you don't know that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob or that his covenant name in Hebrew is Yahweh or that he is the God of Israel or that he sent his son Jesus to die in your place and for your sins, you can know two things about God. You may not know much about God, but you can know these two things just by going outside and opening up your eyes. You can know his divine nature, that he's God and his eternal power. But then notice what Paul says humanity does with this information about God. Because this is exactly what King Jeroboam did. Verse 18 says that men suppress the truth. So even though creation is screaming and yelling at us, even though creation is updating its Facebook status with these words, God has divine nature and has eternal power. What does mankind do with that information? We suppress it. We push the truth down, just like Jeroboam. It's like a jack-in-the-box. When the revelation about God comes, when it pops up, we suppress it, don't we? Like a jack-in-the-box. And what do we do with the truth of God's word? We push it back down like a jack-in-the-box. It becomes our way of exerting our power. That's what a five-year-old does with his jack-in-the-box toy. He exerts his power over Jack, and he suppresses Jack back down. That's what we all do with God apart from the Spirit of God. The Apostle Paul does it. Jeroboam does it, me, you, your grandma who quilts you socks, your neighbor down the street, we all suppress God. And this is sobering, because if you suppress and ignore what you know about God, it will destroy you. It will ruin your life. Why? Why? Because the most important thought that you will ever think is what you think when you think of God because it will determine every dimension in your life. Continuing in Romans 1, because it's a commentary on Jeroboam's heart and a commentary on our culture and it's something that we need to hear today. So look at verse 22. Claiming to be wise, They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So Paul has said that God has clearly revealed his divine nature and his eternal power through creation. So creation is screaming these two things at us about God. But Paul says all of humanity has suppressed that knowledge, suppressed that truth. But let's get something straight here. Suppression never stays suppression. It always becomes exchange. There's a trade. Suppression never stays suppression. It always leads to an exchange. Do you see the word exchange in verse 23? If you keep suppressing the truth of God's word, what you know God's word says, eventually, Paul says, you will exchange it for something else that is untrue. If you keep pushing it down like a jack-in-the-box you'll exchange it for a lie. If you suppress the truth that God is creator and that he makes all the rules and that he's in charge and he gets to call the shots, if you suppress that truth long enough, if you push it down like a jack in the box, you will exchange that truth for the lie that God is a creature that you can manipulate and that you can change according to your fancy. You will come up with your own ideas about God. You will craft him like Jeroboam. You will make him be what you would like him to be. Your word says that, God. I don't like that. I'm going to change that about you. That makes me more comfortable. That's the exchange that happens. You might even make an image of a bird, a man, or an animal and call it God and worship it. If you suppress and ignore what you know about God, it will destroy you continuing in Romans 1 look at verse 24 therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen So God has revealed through creation that he has eternal power and a divine nature. And yet all of humanity has swept that truth aside. They have not emphasized what God has revealed. They have suppressed that truth and exchanged it for a lie. Because suppression always leads to an exchange. This is why we must never ignore what scripture says about God. If we push, push the truth of God's word that we know about God, if we push it down like a jack-in-the-box, just like Jeroboam did, then we'll ultimately exchange it and worship creation. It may be you and your own thoughts that you worship, your own ideas about who God should be. It may be your girlfriend, your spouse, your iPhone, but you will exchange God for creation if you don't think rightly about him. Jeroboam suppressed what he knew about God. He suppressed the words that he heard from the prophet Ahijah back in chapter 11 about walking in the Lord's ways. And he suppressed all the Bible verses that he learned as a kid at Awana. Verses like, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything. Exodus 20 verses 1-4. through Ten Commandments stuff. Jeroboam suppressed all the verses that he learned at Awana and it destroyed his life and it destroyed the entire nation of Israel. Listen, there are people here today and you grew up in church or even in this church and you learned hundreds of verses in Awana. You know God's word. You know what it says. And some of you are suppressing it. You're trying to push it down. You're trying to drown it out. La 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 la. And you're listening to your friends, and you're listening to culture, and you're getting your theology from Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all the other social media platforms. And You're listening to your own heart, and you're trying to make God be what you think he should be like. Listen, as your pastor, as your shepherd, I care for you. I want to protect you. It's my job to protect you from the wolves that are out there. I love you, and I want to protect you. And I love you enough to tell you that if you suppress what you know about God, you will ruin your life. You will destroy your life, destroy your family, and the devil will lie to you and tell you that freedom comes when you break free from all the rules of the Bible. The devil will lie to you and tell you that you can make up your own ideas about Jesus. You can make up your own ideas about Jesus and still be a Christian. The devil will lie to you and tell you that Jesus endorses the way that you live, which is in direct contrast to the Bible. The devil is a liar. He wants to bring with him to hell as many people as he can. Don't believe his lies. You probably heard over the last few weeks that noted author and former pastor Josh Harris, who wrote, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, has come out and said, according to what I know a Christian is, I am no longer a Christian. That's sad. I have books by this guy. I didn't buy the I Kiss Dating Goodbye because I dated Heather, but I have books by... I have a doctrine book on theology by him. How sad. I just read this morning on Instagram... A worship leader and songwriter with Hillsong named Marty Sampson, who wrote the song, Oh Praise the Name, I Cast My Mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. Who wrote the song, Came to My Rescue, songs that we sing here that he put on Instagram today, I'm losing my faith. I don't believe what I used to believe. Listen, this can happen to anybody. Don't believe the devil's lies. Don't believe the lies of culture. Don't believe the lies of social media. If we suppress the truth that we know about God, we will exchange God as creator for God as creature and it will affect every single human relationship that we have. If we suppress the truth of God's word, it will affect what happens in our bedrooms. Look at verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Did you catch the word exchanged? It's the third time that Paul's used it. And the phrase gave up in verse 27 is also a synonym of exchange. So when humanity suppresses the truth about God, it doesn't just end with merely suppression. It always leads to an exchange. Suppression of God's truth always leads to an exchange of truth, exchanging God for created things. But it doesn't end there. What you think about God, your theology, your view of God doesn't just stay in your head. It always ends up in your bedroom. What you think about God, your theology, your view of God doesn't just stay in your head. It always ends up in your bedroom and it determines what happens in between the sheets. Paul is saying that if you exchange the true concept of God as creator for the false concept that God is creature, everything you have made him out to be, that he is like you, it doesn't remain merely theological. It affects your relationships with other creatures, other created beings, other human beings. You will exchange true human relationships for perverted ones. You will exchange true human relationships for false ones. You will exchange proper relationships for improper relationships. You will exchange heterosexual relationships for homosexual relationships. You will exchange God's design for marriage, which is one man and one woman, for the so-called idea of homosexual marriage. Look, I know that's not popular, but it's not loving to not tell you the truth. Whatever consequences come my way. Understand this theology never just remains theology. It always becomes sociology. Theology always becomes sociology. It always creeps into our relationships. And so your theology, what you think about God and what you think about what God says in his word always winds up in your bed and determines what you do there. So what Paul is saying here in Romans 1 is that when you, what you think about God will always affect your human relationships. Therefore, your human relationships are only as true as your view of God is true. Let me say that again and think about this. Your human relationships are only as true as your view of God is true. Your human relationships are only authentic as your view of God is authentic. There's a one-to-one correlation between your view of God and your relationships. There's a one-to-one correlation between your view of God and what happens in your bedroom. The most important thought that you'll ever think is what you think when you think of God because it will determine every dimension of your life. Sexual, social, personal, work-related, church-related. Every human relationship is affected by your theology, by what you think about God. What you think about God affects what happens in your bedroom between the sheets. A perverted view of God will lead to perverted relationships. And we need to hear this loud and clear today because our culture is backwards on this. Listen, your heart plus culture coming up with its ideas about God, that's a deadly combination. Your heart and culture coming up with its ideas about God is a deadly combination. But there's more here, Romans 1. I mentioned him earlier, Jeff Bingham. My professor at seminary calls Romans 1 the Jaws 2 chapter of the Bible. Do you remember the movie Jaws? The shark that was terrorizing everyone. The beaches cleared out after Jaws hit the theaters in 1975. Nobody went. Remember the ominous music? Dun-dun, 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 dun, 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 dun. Well, people quit going to the beach for a while, and then they forgot about Jaws and started surfing again. And then the trailer for Jaws 2 came out in 1978, and it was so clever, it said, just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. (laughs) That applies to Romans chapter 1. Just in case you are heterosexual, and you think Romans 1 doesn't apply to you, guess what? The rest of Romans chapter 1 is just for you. Just when you thought it was safe to go back into Romans chapter 1, look at verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. If you can't find yourself in this list, your spouse can. (laughs) Or your children, or your neighbor, or your coworker. So Paul is no more opposed to homosexuality as he is opposed to coveters and gossips and slanderers and the prideful. Paul is no more a condemner of improper relationships as he is a condemner of those who are heartless and faithless and ruthless or are disobedient to their parents or those who slander and gossip about people. So be careful when you run to this text, to Romans chapter 1, to condemn homosexuality, but you ignore the verse about gossiping. Be careful when you run to this verse to condemn homosexuality, but ignore the verse about slandering. Does this passage condemn homosexual relationships? Yes, absolutely. But it also drives the nail through gossiping and slandering. Something to think about. Paul's point in all this is don't mess around with suppressing and pushing down the truth of God because it will lead to an exchange of that truth for a lie. And when that happens, every dimension in your life will be destroyed. Just ask King Jeroboam. Understand this. If you drown out what you know of God, you will drown in your sins. You'll drown in the consequences of your own thoughts and your own ideas. If you try and suppress and ignore what you know about God, it will destroy you. Why? Because the most important thought that you will ever think is what you think when you think of God, because it will determine every dimension of your life. What you think of God will determine your ethics, your sexuality, how you talk, how you relate to your parents, how you relate to your brothers and sisters in Christ, how you perceive others, everything. Your view of God will determine everything that you believe. Your eschatology, your cosmology, your anthropology, your soteriology, your Christology, all of it. The doctrine of God is the foundational doctrine that all other Christian Doctrine and belief sit on. So if the doctrine of God is wrong or misconstrued, it will affect every other doctrine. Everything in your life will be affected by your thoughts of God. The most important thing about Jeroboam was what came into his mind when he thought of God, and it's the most important thing about us. Let me ask you this morning, what do you think of God Is he just an angry father in your mind, always a frown on his face, arms crossed, always frustrated because you can't get your act together? Is that how you view God this morning? Or is he detached and aloof? He doesn't care about anything in my life. How do you personally view God? For Jeroboam, the voice in his head was saying that God could not be trusted. The promise that came to the prophet Ahijah in 1 Kings 11 could not be trusted. How do you view God? Let me tell you this about God. I know the front part of this sermon has been heavy. It's been heavy for me because I have friends and loved ones who have walked away from God. If you would have told me 20 years ago that they would walk away, I'd say, no way, not that guy, not her. So it's heavy, I know. But let me bring some hope in. Let me bring the gospel in. Let me tell you this about God. He loves you with all your problems with all your improper relationships with all your uh, untrue thinking he loves you he sent his son Jesus to live and die for your sins and if you repent and quit living for you turn from living for you as the king and turn to him and you trust in him he will forgive you He will give you his righteousness, his perfect life. He will adopt you into his family and just love on you. He paid for your sin and your rebellion on the cross. And if you struggle with particular sinful desires like the ones described in Romans chapter 1, you need to know that he's a caring physician who will enable you by the power of his Holy Spirit to walk in newness of life and to die to these sinful desires. Bring those sinful desires to him. Bring your anxieties to him. Bring your fears. Bring your desires. If you're single and you're just like, I just want to be married, bring that to Jesus and tell him about it. If you're married and you think, I just want out of this marriage, bring that to Jesus and confess it and repent. You've got to know this about Grace though we believe things about relationships and marriage that are contrary to what our culture says, this is still a safe place. A safe place to share your struggles, to share your questions, to share your doubts, to come and say, I don't understand. How could it be? This is what I feel. This is what I think. Help me. This is a safe place. Don't do your theology alone. Don't do your thinking of God alone And certainly don't do it on social media because you'll have people gather around you who will tell you what you want to hear. Don't do it alone. Don't do it online. Don't do it on social media. Do it here at Grace with mature Christians who've been walking with Jesus for a long time and probably had the same questions and struggles and anxieties and fears and doubts. Do it here with your church family. Do it here with your elders who are here to shepherd you and protect you. Do it here with your deacons who come alongside you and serve you. Do it here with your pastors. Do it here in small groups and in your Sunday school classes. But you have to be willing to humble yourself. Humble yourself under his word. Wherever you're at today in your struggles, come to Jesus and open the empty hands of faith. Express your sin. Confess your sinful desires and repent and beg him to help you walk in newness of life. And he will. Listen, I don't know what you think about Jesus, but he wants you to come to him with all of your sins and all of your struggles and all of your failures. As we saw last week, he says, come to me. Puritan Thomas Goodwin said this, so Jesus lays open his own disposition or what he is like in Matthew eleven, twenty-eight. Come to me, you that are weary and heavy laden, for I am meek and lowly of heart. Then Goodwin says, Men are apt to have contrary thoughts of Christ, meaning, we don't typically think of Jesus saying, Come to me, I'm meek and gentle. Men are apt to have contrary thoughts of Christ. But Jesus tells them his disposition, what he's like right there in that verse, by preventing such hard thoughts of him, to allure them unto him the more. We are apt to think that Jesus, being so holy, is therefore of a severe and sour disposition against sinners and not able to bear them. See, Jesus clearly tells us how he is. He's meek and lowly of heart. He tells us this because we are so prone to have thoughts of him as just being as hard as nails and angry. And so Jesus tells us that he's merciful in order to allure us to him because he knows that we want to keep our distance. Jesus knew that we would think that he's so holy that he must have a sour disposition against us. And that's why Jesus tells us he's merciful and kind and gentle to sinners like us to allure us to him. He is holy. I mean, make no mistake about that. He is holy. He is righteous. His anger is revealed against our sin, but he offers amnesty to sinners like us. He's holy, but he's also merciful. He welcomes sinners who trust in him alone. And so understand this, your mess does not keep Jesus away. Your sin and your sinful desires that are contrary to creation, your mess does not keep Jesus away ever. He's never irritated when you bring your struggles to him. Trust me, if he was, I would know. He's never looked at me when I've come to him and said, you again? Really? Just get your act together for once? He never does that. He wants you to come to him and he will forgive your sin and make you clean and begin transforming you by his spirit and his gospel. So don't be like Jeroboam this morning. Don't suppress the truth of God's word. Trust him today. He welcomes you. Will you trust him? Will you turn from living according to your wisdom and your thinking? What are you waiting for? Run into his arms. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. The most important thought that you will ever think is what you think when you think of God because it will determine every dimension of your life. I hope you leave here today thinking, what a Savior. What a Savior. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. Heavenly Father, we need you. We need your spirit. God, there are so many voices in our head. Culture just keeps being stuffed down our throats. We need to hear your word. We need to hear your promises. We need to hear the gospel again. We are desperate for you, Lord. We confess our sin. Each one of us here have had sinful desires that are contrary to your character and your nature and contrary to your word. And we confess that. It's true, God. It's true. But we run to you and say, forgive us and cleanse us and help us to walk in newness of life and help us to walk with our brothers and sisters who have struggles and doubts and questions and help us to love them and link arms with them. And may we as a church family honor you here. In Jesus' name, amen.